0: To the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. It's one thousand one hundred and forty-three in my Bible. I don't know what it is in yours, but the book of uh, Daniel. We're going to be starting today, uh, you know, a, a study that is again, I, I mentioned that a lot of people are hesitant. A lot of people are a little concerned about Daniel because, yes, there are the stories that we all know, but then there are some prophecies that a lot of times people are a little concerned about. There's some there's some things in there that God says is going to happen, and the things that he says aren't necessarily things we want to happen, and so people back away from that. They tend to be afraid of those things. But I want, to, I want us to embrace these things. I want us to dig in uh, because I believe that the study of the book of Daniel is a study that every Christian needs to go on at least one once in their lifetime. Um, it's a study of, of faith, it's a study of character, and it is definitely a study of the end times. Um, and, and because of the distinctly prophetic nature of that second half, a lot of people tend to, to shy away. But we're going to dive deep into the faithfulness of Daniel, uh, because Daniel was very faithful. He was very obedient to the word of the Lord. He was very obedient in a time when it would have been easy for him to conform to the culture, really change, and become somebody entirely different. Um, And we're also going to embrace the prophecy where we encounter it. Because who are we to, you know, uh, thank the Lord for the the, the rain, but curse him for the sunshine. So there's going to be times where it is good. There's going to be times where it is bad. And God has prophesied those things. And so when it happens, we're going to receive it and we're going to embrace it. You know, as we examine this book, we're going to see many examples of both the sovereignty and the love of God. It is a, a very biblical idea that God is in control and orders the events of the world. We have to be aware of that, that, that God is ordering the things that are happening. So as we watch the things play out on the world's landscape right now, and it is complicated and it is confusing, and depending on who you listen to, uh, there, there's all these things going on in the background. God's in control of those things. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who's going to be king in this country or who's going to be president in our country. It does not matter who is in charge according to mankind. God is in control. But also, as we study the book of Daniel, we're going to see God's love. We're going to see the way that he pours his love out on his, on his people especially as they are faithful and obedient to him. We're going to see that God does not abandon his people. Even if, he, if they are in a period where they're being judged, God is still loving them and caring for them. Now, as we examine this book, we're going to see these examples. We're also going to see some examples of prophecy. But we should not be mistaken about one thing, and one thing very important. Even though the title of this book is Daniel, the Lord Himself is the primary character. He is the central focus, and we will watch with wonder as He unfolds His teaching for us as, as, as we dig in. So, Daniel is just the man that was placed in a, a situation or a set of circumstances um, in, in, in which He was able to show the power of God in the life of a faithful believer. So, This isn't about Daniel. This is about the Lord. It just so happens that Daniel is is, is kind of the, the lens that we see all this through. And so I think that's very, very important for us to recognize that very specific distinction. Now... The, the title of this message, Integrity in Exile, we start with the, the very first, I guess, event that Daniel records. Um, and integrity is, is important because integrity is that, that, that character, that, that resolute idea that you're going to be uh, what you're supposed to be. You know, e- even if it's, it's much easier to be something entirely different. And so we're going to be looking at how Daniel was able to stand against the, uh, the culture from the very beginning and show that he was going to live for God even in, 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 in a situation where it was very tempting to live uh, for the world. So the sermon in the sentence is is this. Our circumstances do not dictate our character. We must live with integrity even in the difficult times. So we're going to be studying the first chapter of Daniel today. So it's Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 through 21. And I'm going to read that for you, uh, and and then we will kind of get into the sermon. So it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspen, Penez, the, the chief, his chief eunuch to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Then the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age, so that you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward, uh, whom the chief of eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, uh, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, And water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them uh, in this manner and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. Probably not going to get back to this, so. The Bible says it's a good thing to be fat and flesh. Just putting that out there. Never going to come back to that again. All right, uh, verse 16. uh, So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, uh, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom." And Daniel was there until the first year uh, of King Cyrus. Okay, so there is a lot there, and we're going to kind of focus in on the way that Daniel uh, and his friends live in this land, They live with integrity. So the first thing we're going to talk about is an extravagant exile. Um, as the book opens, we're told that the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, is delivered over into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And so this here is the very first example of God's sovereignty at work. This is God uh, sovereignly in control of what happens in the events of the world. You see, it wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar defeated Jehoiakim. That did happen, but it happened according to the decree of the Lord, and we have to realize this. The reason that, that I thought it would be really great for us to go from Jeremiah to Daniel is because we just saw this happen from a different perspective. So, We just saw Jeremiah prophesy for so long there's going to be a kingdom from the north that's going to come and be your judge. And then finally he said it was Babylon. And then we start seeing the visitations of Babylon to Judah. So this particular besieging and this particular fall of Jerusalem that we're talking about would have happened in 605 B.C. And so Nebuchadnezzar just had become king of Babylon. His father had just died. So Nebuchadnezzar, he wins a great battle against the Egyptians and then he besieges Jerusalem. And at this time... Yes, the Babylonians do defeat Judah, but they don't wipe them out. And instead, they, t- they take certain ones as exiles and certain uh, bounty or loot as, exile, uh, as part of their spoils of war as well. And so we see these things happening, uh, but we have to understand that God is in control of these things. And so a lot of times people want to just see God doing good things that they perceive as good or that we understand to be good. So we don't, we don't want to see God destroying a kingdom. We want to see God build up a kingdom. We, we don't want to see God change rulers or leaders. We want God to build up rulers and leaders and provide the ones that we think are the best. But God is in control. He is infinitely wise, far more than we are, and so he knows what he should do whereas we don't know what should be done. We think we know. We, we pray and we try to seek the face of God and we think we have an idea, but you know, at the end of the day, God is in control. And so for this particular scenario here where the kingdom of Judah is falling to the Babylonians, you might say, well, has God failed or has God abandoned Judah? No, God is disciplining Judah. That's what is actually happening because they have broken the covenant that God made with them. God said, if you will be my people... I will be your God. Now, people of God are obedient to the word of God. The people of Judah were not obedient to the word of God. So God was punishing them. He was disciplining them. He would restore them. What we see in the book of Daniel is that time period in which they were under punishment. We get to see how they lived in exile. And so e- even with the first couple of verses, we're already seeing the sovereignty of God play out. Now Daniel is careful to point out the vessels that were actually taken from the house of God because that will loom, much, that will loom large later in the story as we continue down this path of, of events. We're going to see these vessels actually have a big part um, of what happens to Babylon a little bit later. Now, the next thing we find out is that many of the people of the royal family and nobles, so people of higher birth, They were the ones that were taken from uh, Judah. People with skill, people that knew trades, people that were smart. Those are the people that the Babylonians took. So why would they take those kinds of folks? Well, one, they're going to be able to capture the culture of Judah by bringing in those, I guess, higher-ranking people. But also, they're going to be able to enrich their own kingdom these people were very much like spoils of war. They were very much like some kind of um, uh, extra benefit for the conquering by bringing them into their own country. So th- that's an interesting thing to see how they viewed this. And so we see that. Now, many people, uh, many of the people that were brought into exile were, were, were youth. So they had skill, they had promise, um, but they were potential. And that's what the Babylonians saw in them. And so that's, that's very important that we notice that. Now... Here's what the plan was. The Babylonians were going to give these youths a portion of what the king himself was served. So they were going to receive the same kind of food that Nebuchadnezzar himself would have eaten. They were going to receive the same kind of wine. And then they were going to receive the finest education that you could get in Babylon at the time. And you might say... It's a pretty extravagant treatment for exiles, right? I thought if you were an exile, you, you were, you were going to be you know, in a prison somewhere. Or you're going to be treated roughly or harshly. But that's not exactly what the Babylonians had in mind. Notice it from, from this point of view, okay? So they, they bring the exiles in and they say, here's your food. You get food from the table of the king. Here's your wine. You get wine literally from the same barrel that the king gets his wine from. Here's your new name. You know, you had true Hebrew names. Daniel, God is, God is my judge. You know, you had, you had these new names that, that, that were given. And all of these names, you can study those root words, and they go back to the Babylonian gods. And so instead of having names that point them to God, they have names that now point them towards Babylonian gods. Their food comes from the king, their drink comes from the king, their name comes from the king, and then their education is the, the Chaldean literature. It is the Chaldean history, it is the Chaldean fiction, it is the Chaldean spiritual material. That is the things that they are being taught and that's the things that they are learning. And so what the Babylonians are, are doing here is they're actually kind of working a, a, a system where they take, they take what they feel to be committed you know, Jewish people and, and transforming them into kind of cultural clones of the Babylon so that they can, they can be like the Babylonians. Now, the general idea among scholars is that if they could transform the, the, the royal family and, and, and the noble families and these really smart, intelligent people, that they would pave the way for the rest of people to say, hey, look, they were a very distinct culture, but they adapted to the Babylonian way of life. So you can adapt to the Babylonian way of life as well. So that's the general idea is that they were, they were kind of brainwashing them so that they would then lead the way for the brainwashing of the rest of the exiles and the rest of the people that would come into the Babylonian empire. Because one thing the Babylonians thought was that if we make everybody think like us, nobody will rebel. If nobody rebels, then we can be stronger, we can be more powerful. And so that was kind of the general idea for them was that, that they were going to, to, to be brainwashed. Now, the way that we're introduced to Daniel and his friends is that they were some of the youths that were brought into the, the exile. And we know that, that Daniel himself would have been a, a teenager when he was taken in, they say youth, um, and, and so we don't know exactly how old he was, but if, let's say he was 15 when he was taken into exile. And let's say that, that Daniel would have died shortly after the last event in history that he recorded, We know that he was in Babylon for 70 years, so that would have meant that if he was 15 when he was taken, he would have been 85 when he died, Uh, and he may have lived longer than that, so he lived a very, very long time in exile, and one thing that we see about Daniel is that in all of this, he didn't compromise. And all of this, he continued to stay true to what God had called him and made him to be originally, and he was still favored in the land, even though he, he was basically against everything that the Babylonians stood for. Now, Daniel, along with these other exiled uh, youths like him, they were going to be pampered. They were going to be treated much differently than you would expect to be treated if you were in exile. But that's what's interesting about this, is, is, is that it's not as difficult as it would seem to be. I would imagine, now, just, just I would imagine that the trip from Judah to Babylon, so if, if you're in Jerusalem, you're going to have to go north uh, to catch basically the, the fertile crescent right along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers down to Babylon, so it was a longer trip. I would imagine there was some talk among the exiles, how are we going to be treated, what are they going to do? You know, you kind of knew they weren't going to kill you. Um, if they were going to kill you, they would have killed you there. But what were they going to do? How are we going to live? We're, we're, are we going to be put into prisons? Are we going to be forced to do slave labor? What are we going to have to do? Why did they select us? What, what is God going to do? Is there anyone that's going to come rescue us? They, they would have had all of these wonderings. But then when they get there and they hear, okay, so you're going to live in these fine quarters. You're going to eat this fine food, drink this good wine. You're going to get an education. That's what we want you to do is get an education. That doesn't seem bad at all, does it? How can something that good be evil? How could something that good be defiling? You know, what's interesting is that this is exactly how the the enemy works. The best laid traps of our enemy, they seem to be good to us. They seem to be a blessing um, from the Lord when they are in fact a deception that can lead to destruction okay so so this trap that the babylonians were laying to kind of erase the the, the 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 Jewish out of these Jews that was that was the trap here we're gonna feed you we're gonna give you wine to drink we're we're gonna give you a new name we're gonna give you a new education we're gonna give you value and, and, and position in our society if you play by our rules Everything will be great for you. That's what they were saying. So this extravagant exile that the, that the boys were in, it was still a temptation. It was still going to be a problem for them. Now, you don't have to be very savvy to be able to see how this can apply to the world today. You know, the, the world is not asking us as Christians... ...to go out and sin in every way that, that everybody else sins. That's not what they're asking us as Christians to do. They are asking us as Christians not to quote certain Bible verses anymore. We're not supposed to say what is sin and what is righteousness. We certainly can't do that. And so they'll try to use a Bible verse of our own against us and say, don't judge. Well, there's context to that. But they, they want us to, to basically just go with the flow... They, they want us to be comfortable with the sins of the world. And if we're comfortable with the sins of the world, they'll let us live in, you know, relative ease. They, they won't make things difficult for us. They, they won't come after us. And, you know, when you think about it, in America in the last hundred years, when has anyone came after the church? Has it really happened? We've kind of been in an extravagant exile, so to speak but we have to realize that if we stand up and declare what the Word of God actually says, especially in this culture today, if we stand up and say what the Word of God says about the the, the way that people are living, if we say what the Bible actually says about justice, if we say what the Bible actually says about the culture around us, what our culture finds entertaining, what our culture sets as goals and priorities, if we say what the Bible says about those things, they're going to come after us. But if we don't, if, we, if we'll say it in our little circle, but we won't say it out loud, if, if we'll read about it in books, but we won't proclaim it, they'll leave us alone. They'll leave us alone. And so we have to be aware of that. So Daniel and his friends, they were tempted to tarnish. They were tempted to tarnish who they were. They were tempted to tarnish their own way of living. But, you know, here's the, here's the interesting thing. So, so Daniel... You know, it, it, it basically says in verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So th- there's there's conversation about what was wrong with the food. And, you know, the, the, the first answer that you're probably going to hear or may, maybe even think yourself is that maybe they were eating animals that the Jews had deemed unclean. And they probably were. But... Um, But it doesn't seem that this was the particular problem with the food from the king. You know, Daniel lived 70 years in Babylon. He didn't eat vegetables the whole time. He didn't drink water the whole time. But during this time, that food was tainted food. That food was food that was was given for a malicious purpose. And so he was rejecting it for that. So, you know, Jewish laws on, on, on kosher food. There's no way that Daniel could have gotten kosher food in Babylon. They they just didn't follow the same procedures that the Jews did with their food. So anything would have been considered unclean by that standard. So Daniel was going to be able to eat. He was going to be able to have food, but he wasn't going to take this defiled food. Now, what I find interesting about this, we're in the new year, right? It's it's the third? Yes. Um, So we're in the new year, and everybody likes to make, or many people like to make, New Year's resolutions. I've always found it very amusing that we use the word resolution uh, for something that we're going to stick to maybe a few days, a few weeks. How many of you make New Year's resolutions? Okay, wrong crowd. All right, so if, if if you ask social media, probably a lot of people made New Year's resolutions. How many of them have broken them on the third? Probably a lot of people have broken their resolutions on the third. You know, the, the, the desk that the president sits at is called the resolute desk. When we think about that word resolution or resolute, it, it really means to stubbornly do something or intend to do something that is, that is difficult. Now, I don't know that, 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 that a lot of Americans walking around today have much resolution in them, uh, but Daniel did. Daniel was a man that was resolute. He resolved that he would not defile himself. He resolved that that he, and we have to understand that even though Daniel is kind of the the point of view here, that Hananiah uh, and Mishael and Azariah, they would have made that same decision. We're not going to defile ourselves. And so together, they decided what they would have to do in order to stay pure in the eyes of God and, and to honor him in this weird and difficult situation that they were in. And so they did that. So what they chose to do, uh, first of all, um, th- they were given favor with this chief of eunuchs. And so God gave them favor to actually be able to have a conversation. Now, you have to realize that, that how much we value life now in America, which it's kind of an on and off again, love-hate relationship with life. In the ancient times, they didn't care. They would kill you in a heartbeat. And so this, this chief of eunuchs, when Daniel says, hey, I, I want to um, I w- I have a different diet, well, the guy, the, the guy is sympathetic to hearing that, but he says, I'm, I'm not going to get my head cut off so that you can eat different food. I mean, and he didn't mean that figurative head chopping sort of thing. He meant literally Nebuchadnezzar would have his head cut off if he messed up some of these exiles. So that was, that was the general idea there is that Nebuchadnezzar had the power of life and death. And so that would have been pressure on Daniel and his friends to conform to society. Besides that, can't you imagine, if you've ever tried to kind of blaze your own path or march to the beat of your own drum, I've heard people say that about people, if you've ever tried to do that, there's pressure from all sides, hey, nobody's doing it that way. You, you shouldn't do that because nobody else is, is, is going to do that with you. Or, or you're going you're to ruin this for the rest of us. Think about the exiles that, that weren't very committed in the first place because remember the Jews were under punishment by God for their faithlessness and so there were probably a lot of faithless exiles that came to Babylon. And so they were probably saying, hey, we know, we, we know that you're a little more conservative than the rest of us, but you don't want to ruin what we've got going by just being a stick in the mud. Don't do that. Don't, don't ruin all this for all of us. Think about the peer pressure they would have faced from their own people. Think about the pressure even from this Babylonian official who was like, I, I kind of respect what you're saying and what you're doing, but I don't want to die for it. So you can imagine the kind of pressure and the temptation there would have been to tarnish who they were, to defile themselves. But Daniel resolved, and, and I really love that. And I think that we need to remember that, that he resolved not to defile himself. This world still has a lot to offer that even though you can't point at it and say, this is sinful, you can still say, this would, this would defile me. This would bring about harm in my life. So you might not say that a certain thing is sinful, But God will let you know if it would defile you. And there's something about it that struck Daniel, and he said, nope, we're not going with this meal plan. And so that was going to defile him, and he resolved not to do that. You know, some of the people that Daniel was exiled with might have even had biblical arguments. Biblical arguments indicating that they should should submit to the authority of the king. That they should be humble. That they shouldn't make a scene. Maybe some of them even had that. But you know, the reality is, if you know in your heart what God wants you to do, you have to do that. You are required to do that. That is your Christian responsibility. It is what God expects you to do. So not only does uh, Daniel resist the temptation to conform to the culture of convenience, but he displays his faith in God by issuing a test to the steward that was supposed to be responsible for their food. Now, how Daniel words this is important. You know, Daniel doesn't say, well, after 10 days, if we are not better, you can put us back on the other diet. He just says, check us after 10 days and see how we are. Because Daniel's not going on that diet. So he doesn't make a, you know, if we don't, then we will. He's not going on that diet. He says, check us after 10 days. And so for 10 days out of a three-year span, that's not going to affect their health that much. They're given the kind of food that they think they need. They're given the vegetables. They're given the water. They stay off of the king's meats and stay off of the king's diet. And yes, they are in better shape now, obviously, we now have a fitness culture or whatever, and, and so working out and being in shape and all that 's a great thing. But in those days, if you got sick and you were skinny you you might actually die because you didn 't have enough in your in your body to kind of support you so so being fat of flesh was actually a good thing it was good in appearance and then and then your skin tone your skin color all of those things would have been would have been important for people and so when the steward looks at them in 10 days they're actually better off and so that's kind of the point of 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 what what daniel was saying here is i'm going to put this to the test and i know that god is going to uh, be faithful so he knew daniel knew that god would honor his faithfulness uh, and as expected after 10 days they're healthier than those that had actually eaten the king's food when we are faithful to God's commands, despite cultural pressures, he will show his pleasure through his blessings. Now, this doesn't mean that at this moment Daniel was rich. This doesn't mean at this moment that Daniel had a whole bunch of friends. Daniel was probably pretty isolated. He and his three friends were probably the only ones in their group, the only ones in their gang at that particular time. But, but I will say this, Daniel was blessed. He, he was blessed in ways that, that you might not be able to measure, you might not be able to put on a spreadsheet, but he was blessed. And if we will stay faithful to the Lord during this time when, when, when culture is what it is, and I'm not saying that, that, that this culture is any more pervasive or any more wicked than other cultures, but it is pervasive and it is wicked. And it sneaks in on you. The culture, the way that the American culture is now, it sneaks in on you in all kinds of ways. Because there is so much that you see that you don't register like I'm taking this in, but you see it. You see it maybe in a commercial or you see it on a sign or, or, or you see it when you're scrolling on you know, social media. You see things and you don't realize the effect that it has on you. This culture is pervasive and it is also very wicked. You know, the Bible talks about in the end times, there will be people that, that, that do evil things and they applaud others that do evil things. We live in that world. Now, I, I don't know whether we're in the last days or not, but I do know that that, you know, you can, mark, you can check mark that one by your, your prophecy heat index or whatever you've got. This, that one happens. We applaud evildoers in our culture today. We celebrate them. We put them you know, on statues and, and we, we declare their names as, as heroes. We do that. That's part of what the Bible says is the end times. So this culture is pervasive. You don't know how much it influences you. So we have to stay faithful to God during this time. We have to be sure that, that we are taking in more of God's word than we are of the message of this world. We have to be sure that we are praying and communicating with God more than we're communicating with this world. Make sure that you are saturating your heart and your mind with the Lord so that when you see the world, you'll recognize it for what it is. It is not a good thing. It may appear to be good, but what the world has to offer is bad for us. And so finally, let's look at supernaturally superior. Because of the blessings of the Lord, Daniel and his friends are better off in every measurable way than the other exiles. They're healthier, they're smarter, they're, they're just in better shape than everybody that they're being compared with. They all excelled in wisdom and in the literature, so the academic pursuits, they were great. And Daniel even had this gift of being able to interpret visions and dreams, and so he was even better off. When they were presented to the king after three years and, and, and with the way that this is worded, it seems like the, all the exiles were kind of looked at and then the ones that were the most worthy were put before the king and that was Daniel and his friends. They were put before the king and when they stood before the king, they really showed that, that they had developed. And it wasn't because the king's food and it wasn't necessarily because the king's education. It was because the way that God blessed them. Because it turns out they were even, you know, 10 times better uh, than, than the magicians and the enchanters and, and all these different mystics that uh, they would have had in the Babylonian Empire at that time. And to say, <coughs> who did they have in the Babylonian Empire? Well, the Babylonian Empire took over the Assyrian Empire. So that would have extended, extended into Turkey. Um, You obviously know that it would have extended into Judah and down into Egypt. So at this time, it was a very large regional empire. They would have had a lot of people in their empire. And to say that Daniel and his friends were ten times more wise and more skilled and more able than anybody in the empire, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. The Bible normally doesn't say... Ten times when it's really eight times. Normally when it says ten times, it's probably a thousand times. They, they were smarter. They were, they were better. And it wasn't because of the king's tutors. It wasn't beca- because of the king's food. It was because God blessed them during their, their exile because they were faithful to him. Daniel is given life, uh, a long life. He's given status in this kingdom because he's been faithful to God. As we study the book of Daniel... You're going to see Daniel standing against the current so many times. You're going to see um, Daniel's friends. You're going to see those that stand with him, they stand against what Babylon is doing. Yet Daniel still finds himself at or near the top of of Babylonian culture always, even though he's against them. What's so beautiful about this is that Daniel finds a way to be unique, uh, to be a God follower... Yet at the same time, the rest of the culture still appreciates who he is. Now, we know that there are Christians out there who are unique. The Bible has the word peculiar. We can come up with some other words for folks like that. We could, we could definitely say there are some folks that are not like the culture that, that would say they're Christians. But what we see in Daniel is, is the example that I think we've got to follow. The example of someone who definitely is unique, faithful to the word of God, no compromise whatsoever, resolute, resolved, but at the same time, he's not putting off the culture. How do you live in a culture but not be consumed by that culture? Well, we need to look at Daniel here. Daniel did not insult the steward. He didn't insult the chief of eunuchs. He didn't go before King Nebuchadnezzar and say, oh mighty king, I didn't like your cooking. He didn't do these things. So Daniel stood with character. He, he lived his life with honor. Most importantly, he was faithful to God and God blessed him. And so that is how Daniel is going to show us how to live in a culture, to be against the culture, but at the same time to not re- reject the people or have them reject him. He was able to have influence among people who no one else would have had influence with because, because he was able to, to honor God, but at the same time, to not offend everybody. That's important. That's a very fine line that we've got to walk. We have to be able to speak the truth, live the truth, but at the same time show that we still have love and compassion. That's really, really important. And I don't think we're going to be able to do it on our own, but through the power of God, I think we can. Now, here's the thing with this supernaturally superior. No matter the consequences you think are involved in standing for the Lord, it is always right for you to live with integrity. How many of the consequences that we think are out there are imagined? Probably some of them. Some of them are real. Some of them are probably imagined. But let me tell you, the consequences for walking against God are much more severe. And we have to be smart about what we're doing here. We have to look at the Word of God. What are the examples that God has given us? Do the people that stand against the culture sometimes have a rough life? Absolutely they do. But if you were to ask any person that has ever taken a stand for God against the culture, they would all say they would do it again in a heartbeat. And the reason is, is because God is good. And God will honor us and God will bless that if we live for Him. So to kind of wrap this up, Daniel and his friends, they were strangers in a strange land, yet they knew that the Lord was still in control. You know, I, I think about, you know, if someone were to... went into a coma in 2019 and woke up here somewhere in the late part of 2020 or maybe even this week they would have felt like a stranger in a strange land because if you've been paying attention our culture has changed just that much In, in in a year's time it has changed drastically things that were done kind of in secret and in dark are now very public and very out there in front of us We are strangers in a strange land. We are exiles. The Bible calls us aliens and and sojourners and all those things. The Bible says we are all of those things. But yet we need to know how to live for God in this culture. We can't put the culture off because we also have to reach and win the culture. But how do we do that? We will need this same knowledge, how to live for God uh, in obedience uh, in this kind of exile that we're in. So we're going to have to obey God. We're going to have to be honest about the way that we live. We're going to have to live with this integrity, with this resolve. But at the same time, we're going to have to show love and compassion to people that, that aren't necessarily so lovely. You know, somebody's screaming about, you know, gender fluidity or something. It's kind of hard to love that person. But we've got those kinds of things happening in America today. And the reality is we've got to show them, hey, I love you. I don't agree with your philosophy but if, if, if you listen to my ideas, I'll listen to your ideas and we'll see what, what the word says. We've got to find that way to have that love and compassion with people. There will be many reasons to go with the flow. And I can tell you there are people busy at work giving you biblical reasons why you should accept everything that's being said right now why you should accept what's being said about social justice, why you should accept what's being said about race, why you should accept what's being said about um, uh, orientations, what's being said about gender. You will find people giving you biblical reasons for everything under the sun. Because the truth is, people can take the Bible out of its context, twist it any way they want to, make it say anything they want it to say. But when you look at the Word of God as a whole, and you see what God is saying... God does not agree with this culture. His word does not agree with this culture. And so if you hear somebody saying, hey, it's okay to believe this because this verse, go to that verse, read the chapter before, read the chapter it's in, read the chapter after, you'll probably have a different opinion than that person. And you have the power to do that in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have the power to read that and say, oh, this isn't what this says. Let me go to the word and I'll find out that this is not what this says. No penalty is so great that we should forfeit God's blessing in favor of worldly comfort. Worldly comfort, no matter what it is, is temporary. No matter what they offer you, no matter what they have to give you, it's temporary. What God gives is eternal. And so I just want to encourage you, we're we're going to be living as exiles in this land. It's going to be a little different. Every year it's going to be a little different. Maybe a lot different we have to stand for God in a world that that doesn't know him we have to stand for him and introduce him to this world Daniel was there with the Babylonians they didn't know who Yahweh was but he showed them and he made a difference and and we have to make that same difference In, in a very pagan and foreign culture we've got to make that difference as well let's have a word of prayer Heavenly Father I thank you so much just for this time to gather together I thank you for the example that you gave us in Daniel of a person, even at a young age, who was willing to stand for you and, and to reject the, the world. He, he was willing to reject what the world had to offer in favor of you. If we don't take anything else from our reading of this first chapter, I pray that we do take that. Let us reject the world in favor of you. And Father, I pray that as, as we make that decision, I know it's going to take us to some places that are different. It's going to take us to some places where we think that we... We might even be facing some difficult consequences. But let us, let us be faithful to you. Help us to, to see your way in the midst of all of these things. Remind us that you are completely in control. What this world does, it's not doing. You are ordering the events. And so as we look at it from that perspective... We know what we must do. We must obey your word. But when we watch what you're doing, let us watch with wonder. Because even though it's not going the way we want it to go, you are working about your desired end. And so let us, let us anxiously wait for that in everything that we see, everything that we say, and everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.